0: The chances of me surviving both of these illnesses is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. I hear my dad's voice in the back of my head when I told him, hey dad, I'm gonna go climb Mount Everest after surviving two cancers and I with my one lung. And I hear his voice. We didn't get you through two cancers to go kill yourself on a hunk of rock and ice. Any goal that you have, if you understand and know, not necessarily why you're doing it, but the purpose behind it. You can overcome tremendous obstacles because the end result means much more than anything that gets in your way.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The 2%, where we interview peak performers from all walks of life to help decode excellence so that you can play a bigger game in both your work and life, close that gap between your current self and your best self. And I'm super excited to have on the show today, Sean Swarner. And, you know, Sean is, he's, um, he's redefined the impossible by becoming the only person in history to climb the highest mountain on every continent, trek to the South and North Poles, and complete the Hawaii Ironman. But here's the kicker. He did it all on one lung. Sean is a speaker, author, peak performance coach, adventurer, and a world record holder. So welcome to the show,
0: Sean, and super thrilled to have you here. I appreciate it, Eric. I was, I was thinking uh, when you were talking, like on, on your shows, you have 100% of the
1: 2%. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I've never thought about it about that way, but yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's, uh, yeah, trying to, you know, as we explained just before this, you know, we started here, it's, um, trying to give people the, the tools, the strategies, the techniques, you know, the mindset, uh, like the activation energy to break free from that 98% and join that, um, join that 2%. And your story is just, you know, absolutely amazing on so many levels. Um, I think the best place to kind of root this is maybe talk about what happened when you were you know, 13, I think it was 13 and 15 years old, just to set the context here. So people understand what you
0: had to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, my, wow. How do I even unwrap that whole thing? My life really has taken a different path than most people. Uh, So if you back up to when you were 13 years old, you were probably getting ready for school in the morning, uh, say eighth grade, maybe, and you were concerned about being popular, you know, what's what classes you were going to take, what you're going to be wearing. You know, I remember when I was 60 pounds overweight, bald from head to toe three weeks in uh, three months into my first cancer. So we'll get to the second one. And I remember on my hands and knees and on the shower floor sobbing and just weeping pulling chunks of hair out of the drain so the water could go down and because i went through what i went through at that time i developed a completely different perspective on life and the importance of life so there were there were nights when i literally went to bed not knowing if i was going to wake up the next morning so imagine laying in bed going to bed tonight pretend you're you're laying there. You're terrified to close your eyes because you might not wake up the next morning. Mm. That became my mo. That that became what my life was about. I was terrified night after night after night. But eventually, you, I, I got used to being uncomfortable. Yeah. So I became comfortable with being uncomfortable, and it, 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 this went on for years because my my first cancer at thirteen. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma advanced stage four Hodgkins. And that's when they told my parents, hey, your firstborn son has three months to live. Wow. So from, from the get go, when, when my friends were, uh, their, their hormones were kicking in, they were growing hair in unusual places on their bodies. <laughs> I was losing my hair. I, I didn't even have that opportunity to even go through that. Uh, and then I was in remission for about a year and a half going in for a checkup for the first cancer when they found a second completely unrelated cancer and the chances of me surviving this is crazy the chances of me surviving both of these illnesses is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. Wow wow (laughs) that that is like
1: that yeah that's just unheard of right I mean statistically speaking that that combination awesome. will happen somewhere within the universe, but you must be incredibly grateful
0: that it happened with you, right? You absolutely. know, you were able to overcome that and survive. Absolutely, absolutely. Because the second time around, they actually told my parents, I had I had an expiration date of 14 days. I, I remember laying in the hospital bed and a man on the cloth comes in and starts reading me my last rites. And as a 16 year old, I, I looked at my mom really confused what the hell is he doing here? <laughs> mm. I, I wasn't dead. And they, in the hospital also wanted me to, to write out as a 16 year old, they wanted me to write out a living will. Mm. So I have a, I have a brother who's, who's three years younger than I am and kind of tongue in cheek. I looked at my mom and my dad and asked him, well, isn't Seth going to get my hand-me-downs anyhow? Like, <laughs> what does the hospital want?
1: <laughs> like, why do I have to actually write the will. You know, when, exactly. you, when, you share, when you share this, it gives me the chills because um before we um, we hit record here, you know, I, I, I shared with you that I can't directly you know, directly, and I haven't experienced directly what you have, but I can indirectly relate because I spent one year on the uh, pediatric cancer ward mm-hmm. of University of Chicago's, uh, University of Chicago's Advanced Medical Center, which um, is, you know, one of the uh, you know, pre- premier places in the U.S. For, for, for cancer treatment. And that was because my 10 year old brother at the time was diagnosed with um stage 4 uh alveolar um uh, rhabdomyosarcoma and um and i um you know he benefited from some experiment he, he was also when they the, the you know they said you know prepare yourself because the odds were in the book uh, 8 year survival rate it just said incalculable yeah. which to me wasn't a good sign um and um and I, you know, I, I really believe that a big part of his recovery was um, was, was us, was the support that he had around him um, because he was just 10, right? And, and, he, and, and he recovered. He was the only one out of 22 boys in the nation at the time to actually, who had that diagnosis, who, who lived. Um, and, but and, and how, how, old, how old were you at the time? I was, when he was 10, I would have been. I was 21. So, um, so yeah, I thought I was going to lose him, um, and it was, you know, it was it was horrible. I can't imagine what it was like for him. So I also can't imagine what it was like for you. You are so young at that age, and you know, it must be so scary. And um, but can you can you talk a little bit about what 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 was the support that you had around you at that time and how how that played
0: into the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, uh, first of all, I'm glad to hear your brother's doing me okay now. And I, I think as, as you well know, and many people around the world know, cancer is not an individual disease. It, it pulls the whole family through it. Yeah. You know, my, my brother and I will get together. He's three years younger. We'll get together every now and then still 20 some years later, you know, have a couple of pints and and get emotional <laughs> Yeah. and say, I'm so sorry I took you through that. And he's like, I'm I'm sorry too. You know, I wish I would have supported you more. But looking back at it, I think it was a, a combination of numerous things that got me through it. Uh, modern medicine, family support, um, prayer, and just that inner will to get up and, and move. But I think without all of those coming together, I wouldn't be standing here right now. But having that support system, even if even if people don't have an immediate family if, if you're surrounded by the, the the proper friends if you're surrounded by the right people a supportive individuals to get you through something traumatic like that they become your family yeah. they they know you better than you know yourself sometimes and I, I think looking back at it as well i think oftentimes it's worse for me at least it was worse on my parents than it was on me yeah because for them, they couldn't do anything to, to help their firstborn son. They couldn't jump in my body. They couldn't um, get in my head. They couldn't fight the, uh, the cancer. They couldn't go through the, the chemotherapy side effects. That was all me. But without their support, I don't think that would have happened.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think there's such a strong message in what you just said right now, because I'm equally, um, uh, I certainly haven't accomplished, um, you know, all of uh, the feats that that, that, that you have with, you know, it's just, it's just amazing what you've done. But I'm equally obsessed with peak performance um, as, as you are. And, you know, you talk about support there and I, and I think that's often overlooked, right? I think a lot of people that when they want to achieve at a peak level, they just think about themselves and they don't think, what's the support infrastructure that I need to create around me to achieve mastery, to get to a peak level. And maybe that's a nice segue to, um, can you take people, you know, people listening through, you know, some of those achievements um, and, and maybe even before you go there, actually, what prompted that? Why did you want to achieve at such a and can I say, you know, uh, a stratospheric level? And it actually kind of the word actually kind of works with the heights that you climbed. You know? um, but what what prompted all of that? And maybe, you know, that then can segue to. How did you create the support around you to achieve that since
0: it's so important? It's, it's funny because when when you ask me that question, I, I hear my dad's voice in the back of my head when I told him, hey, dad, I'm going to go climb on Everest after surviving two cancers. And I with my one lung and I hear his voice. We didn't get you through two cancers to go kill yourself on a hunk of rock and ice.
1: Yeah.
0: But so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he had a point, though, right? He was, he was
1: trying to protect you. Right. So yeah, so, but it,
0: so what prompted that though? What, like, what was the drive for that? Why? So long, long story short, I graduated college, <laughs> went to school in Pennsylvania, went down to Jacksonville, Florida, and I started uh, working on my master's and my doctorate. And I was going to be a psychologist for cancer patients. I figured I, I knew a lot of the ins and outs of, of the mindset that was needed to, to conquer the disease. But I never took time out to think about how it affected my life. I never, I never took time out on uh, and and stared at myself in the mirror and asked myself those hard questions of Who are you? How does cancer help define who you are? What What do you want from life? Those those type of deep questions. And I realized I I couldn't help anybody else until I helped myself first. It's like that uh, airplane analogy losing losing pressure cabin pressure. You need to help yourself first. Um, so. After doing some research, I I realized that I had been blessed with a a tremendous mind-body connection, and I I knew that I could accomplish anything I set my mind to because of everything I've I've been through, and I I knew because I had a different perspective. So going back to that that kid in the shower, and I guess this really isn't a long story short, is it? Um, Going back to that kid in the shower, I remember as a 13-year-old, I didn't focus on not dying. I focused on living. Nice. So so focusing my attention on on what I wanted, not the avoidance of what I didn't want. So what I wanted to do then was reach around the world and give people something I really never had when I was battling battling the disease, which is hope. So I I did some more research and found that no cancer survivor had ever climbed Everest before. And I wanted to use it as a literal 29,000 foot platform to scream hope and give back to the community. Uh, that's where it started and then it just kind of spread out through the cancer community and now i'm reaching out to anybody who's in need of hope which in in this state of state of the world i think it's everyone beautiful
1: and no no man or woman ever achieves greatness on their own um what how did you create the support around you to achieve
0: these feats well everest everest was very difficult uh, simply because people thought it was physiologically impossible to climb Everest with half your lung capacity. I got to say, I got to <laughs> say, like I would,
1: I, I've just recently watched a documentary on Everest and I got to say it scared me, right? Because I, I looked at it and um, you know, they're, they're passing some frozen bodies on the way up because uh, it's, they, they can't recover them. It's too dangerous. And, and it was all a little bit haunting and you know scary. And you know I've, I've I've suffered from multiple bouts of bronchitis and lung issues. And and to hear that you've done this on one lung, it's like part of me is like wants to slap myself and say, "Hey, come on, Sean's done it. You know, Sean did it. Well, you, you should be able to do it." So, you know, it's you know, it's it's amazing. So so yeah. So ha- so t- t- tell us about the support network. How did you how did you support yourself?
0: So I, I reached out to a number of organizations for sponsorship um, and 99% of them, they wouldn't even talk to me uh, because when I moved from Jacksonville to Colorado, where the Rocky Mountains are, um, well, first of all, I, I realized that if I wanted to climb mountains, I probably, I probably shouldn't be living in Florida, which is a giant sandbar. Um, in fact, the, the highest point in the state is the top of the Four Seasons Hotel in Miami. Uh, so that, that wasn't going to work. So moving to Colorado where the Rocky Mountains are, um, I I trained and and did everything possible uh, doing something every day to get my body in shape. But when I first moved out to Colorado, where I still live now, um, my office was literally a payphone bank and a library. I I didn't even have a place to stay. I I was living out of the back of my car and camping for months. Uh, My brother came with me and We finally did get someone to believe in us. And it was uh, the the organization in Kathmandu who organized the National Geographic's expedition up Everest. And I figured if they could organize National Geographic, they could probably handle me. So I reached out to them and uh, bought a spot on their permit, sold my entire life savings to follow a dream, put the team together through the uh, Peak Promotions, the name of the company, Kathmandu. My brother was at base camp. We had a cook at base camp. Two Sherpas and myself, which is just mind blowing if you think about it, because a normal Everest expedition has thirty or forty people, a, a Sirdar, a cook, a number of a number of porters, a number of guys, It's it's insane. But we were on let's say a shoestring budget, but we didn't even have shoelaces, so we we were on a Velcro budget, I think. But we we managed to make it, and I think it it, it worked out to be better in a in a in a way because the only person that we had to worry about was me and, and the two Sherpas obviously, but he, one of them had been up, Nima Gombu had been up there, I think eight times when I first met him. And then Kami Sherpa had been up there six or seven times as well. So I knew I was in good hands and it was just the, the three of us going up and down the mountain together. So as opposed to worrying about five other clients, we just had to worry about myself being acclimated. Wow. Wow. And it's, um, yeah, it's, uh,
1: uh, again, I mean, not, it wasn't just Everest. I mean, you've you climbed so many peaks across so many, you know, con, uh, continents. We're, we're, we're just talking about one here. Uh, now, I know, I know you have um, uh, a new program. Um,
0: what's the name of it again? The it's, it's called the Summit Challenge. And it actually comes from the picture behind me. This is Kilimanjaro, the highest mountain in Africa, which I've been up 20 times now. And speaking of, uh, but first of all, I want to I want to take you up Kilimanjaro if you're interested. Secondly, okay. the, <laughs> the group that I use, speaking of the team, I, I've used the same locals for the past 18, 19 trips up the mountain. And we now know each other in and out so well. We're like a well-oiled machine. And so, so much so that the average success rate on Kilimanjaro for a, every other group um, is 48%. So 52 people out of hundred don't even make it to the top. But the groups I take up, I, I do it once a year as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. Yeah. The groups I take, we're at 98% success rate. Woo! Now okay. double, double the average. So let's and
1: um, so let's let, let, let's bring this home here with um, if if you were to share. So you're doing something special with that. Something right? different, exactly. You're doing, you're doing something different and special. So as we kind of wrap this our chat up here, um, if you could give the audience one mindset or tip or technique, something practical that they can use to overcome fear, reach that next level, whatever it is, you know, perhaps something that's driving that difference between the 48 and the
0: 98 percent. What would you? What can you share with us? Understand and. Fully know not just what your personal core values are but where you're lacking so you can focus that attention so say family is is a, a tremendous value of yours and if anyone's interested i will i will i i put together a. am um, looking behind me like i'm looking at tents but actually it's my desk <laughs> so i i i spent months and months you know even potentially years, putting together a core values assessment where it takes people through this. So let's just say for example, I value family. Uh, that's as one of my personal core values. What I do then is I rate that on a scale of one to ten on how I'm actually living that value. So how I feel about what'm what I'm, what I'm uh, putting my energy towards. So if I'm, if I'm living that value at say a four or a five, family must mean something to me if it's one of my personal core values and I can see exactly where I'm lacking. I need to put some focus and attention to that. But going up Kilimanjaro, going towards any goal that you have, if you understand and know not necessarily why you're doing it, but the purpose behind it, that deeper why, I suppose, which would be one of your personal core values, you can overcome tremendous obstacles because the end result means much more than anything that gets in your way fantastic and what um
1: is so so this summit is this uh is, is is this just a physical event is it an online event like what um what what is that and how does that help people uh tap into their core values so that they can better define it sounds like what you're saying is if you can get deep into what you truly value and attach that to your goals you can two times your likelihood for achieving your goals and I'm doing that as an extrapolation from the 48 percent to the 98 percent success rate with everyone else who tries to summit Kilimanjaro versus you and the people you lead um, so yeah is, is this so
0: how do people how do people find this is it a, is it a program that they join you know what uh, what is it So two things one there actually is the physical mountain that we go up Mm-hmm. which just just go to Sean Warner.com. Send me a message. I'll send you information. We're going July 24th again this year. Um, and the second one is the summit challenge.com. It's a series of seven different modules, three weeks per module. Where the first one you have to understand what your personal core values are. Then you bookend your day. Then I, I work people through vivid visualization and the, the main component that people miss on the vivid visualization is they oftentimes they they see themselves doing it, accomplishing whatever it might be, but you have to tap into that emotional attachment because that's what connects the mind and body. That's what a lot of people don't understand. And then I'll walk people through mindfulness, the compound effect, the gales, which are the gremlins, the associations, interpretations, and limiting beliefs. So it's it's a it's a, it's a very comprehensive online program, but I work with people one-on-one to help them get through it. It's a 20, total of a 21-week program and it's called the summitchallenge.com. Wow. All right, Sean, this, I mean, this has been, you know,
1: short and sweet, but amazing. Um, you know, anybody listening, if, if you want to double the chance of achieving your goals, if not more, stuff that's meaningful, for you, stuff that's important to you, then, you know, here's an opportunity to learn from someone who, uh, what, you won the lottery, the equivalent of winning the, winning the lottery, what? Four times in a row, <laughs> the same number. Uh, so, um, so, so check this out from Sean. I, I also want to say, Sean, you got a great book called Keep Climbing. Um, and uh, that also talks about, you know, the mindset and the vision needed to, you know, accomplish this about any goal you know, imaginable and shares a lot of the, you know, the unique tools that you've developed along the way. Um, but yeah, super grateful to, to speak with you, Sean. Um, I think uh, a lot of people can learn a lot from you. Uh, I think it's so amazing that you decided to do what, you know, a lot of people just be grateful to be alive for you to have done, you know, for, 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 for you to have gone through what you went through and then to risk your life with one lung, when a lot of people die with two lungs, climbing these mountains to give people the hope that you can achieve whatever you put your mind to, as you say, if you connect it to the right things, that's remarkable, that's commendable. And um, I think you're, you're you're an incredible human being and yeah, I'm
0: honored to have spoken with you today. So thank you. Yeah, Eric, my, my pleasure. And I, I think while, while you're talking, I was I was thinking to myself, I'm more afraid of not living than I am of dying, and I want other people to understand that feeling. There you go. Thank you, Sean, so
1: much. Really appreciate talking with you today. Um, we're going to share those links in the show notes and everything. So everyone, check check Sean out. Sean, Warner, uh, Sean Swarner, sorry. dot com, and Sean, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Very grateful. Thank you. Thanks a lot.